Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. You're listening to the Irish Times Inside Politics podcast. It's Wednesday, July the 19th, and you're very welcome to the latest edition of the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. The dog days of August are fast approaching, but there's still a few items outstanding on the political agenda. So I sat down earlier with Mary Minahan from our political staff, and we got on the phone to our political editor, Pat Leahy, who's on his annual busman's holiday to the McGill Summer School in Glenties County, Donegal. Mary, you're manning the or personing the lonely post of the Irish Times politics desk this yeah. week. Uh, everybody's headed off. It's a fascinating little video you shot of the cabinet heading off on a white minibus this morning. And oh, is that what your job is at the moment? Tracking them with a with a video camera? Well, I'm glad it was there actually because uh, they made a big play of the fact that they were getting a bus. Turned out to be a Defence Forces bus, actually, out to uh, Castletown House in Kildare, where they're having an off-site cabinet meeting today, and they're going to focus on the environment, uh, well, climate change and the economy. And uh, so I got there and I, I saw a few ministers going in. All right, I saw Simon Coveney, uh, Joe McHugh, and I saw Michael Ring. And uh, I took a video of them leaving on the bus and there were a few empty seats there. Uh, Are you saying the full cabinet was not on the bus? That's what I'm saying. I saw Paul Q and I saw Owen Murphy on the bus. And there are a few other sort of shady figures in the background that maybe listeners will uh, help me uh, in deciphering <laughs> who they mm. are. But uh, definitely the whole cabinet wasn't there. But so. if you were a member of the cabinet and you came, let's say, from Kildare or somewhere, you know, Wicklow or whatever it might Perhaps be, why, why would you come into route. government buildings to yes. get the bus back out to Castle That's absolutely right. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, I suppose for for the for the, the the optics of it, it would have been a good idea for them to, to show up. So tell us, is there any politics at the moment? There is oh, Yes, there's plenty of politics. There's no doubt about it. And there's some very stark contrasts. Uh, Yesterday we heard that, uh, well, we knew that the water bills were going to be refunded. um, uh, But we were a little bit shocked, I think, to hear Taoiseach Enda Kenny, uh, uh, Taoiseach uh, Leo Varadkar, keep up, uh, turn up a 300 million uh, amount of money that we didn't know was there. And that was... uh, Pat will have heard that confirmed up in Glenties by the Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue, who said that government spending was currently running about 300 million behind profile. So the water charges refunds are going to cost 170 million. And I think something like 10 million is estimated for a campaign to let people know they can get the money so back. So this is money down the back of a couch so was found to help with this rather embarrassing. Yeah. And hole. I just thought it was a very stark contrast between uh, what Leo Varadkar was actually announcing yesterday which was a 30 cent increase in the minimum wage, which he described as modest, which I think is probably an understatement. Although I should say that the 30 cent increase wasn't his idea. It was the recommendation of the low pay commission. So I think what government is trying to do is package this up as a a 12 euro increase for those who manage to work the full uh, 40 hour week, because I think that sounds a little bit better than the rather paltry 30 cent. But, um, you know, it was just extraordinary when you put that 30 cent figure against the 300 
hundred million that they've they've managed to turn up. Uh, Leo Varadkar just kind of you know casually shrugged and said every year uh, government departments underspend and it wasn't a matter of a whip around or uh, ministers being asked to curb spending or to give over some spending that this money would just be there. It's very convenient, isn't it? It's it's extraordinary, and I think it masks the fact that this is a terrible humiliation for Fine Gael, really, that it's one of its keynote policies that destroyed the Labour Party pretty much and brought Fine Gael to its knees, uh, that now it's actually just reversing horses on completely now and giving the money back. But I think they'll do their best to spin it. And, you know, just before Christmas, people will be getting 300 odd euro back. And won't that be nice? I mean, who's going to turn their nose up at that, I suppose, uh, before Christmas? Although we are reporting today that uh, Simon Coveney, the Minister for Foreign Affairs, uh, told his Fine Gael colleagues that he believed a number of people would actually prefer to pay their water charges and would not seek a refund. Uh, Pat, Pat, you'd be one of those people, wouldn't you? I wouldn't get out of bed for less than €300 Euros, uh, in the morning, not to mind fill out a complicated form for um, uh, for the refund of water charges. I think the um, um, Pascal Donoghue was asked about uh, about Leo Varadkar's comments uh, here in Glenties last night, and uh, he identified this. He elaborated a little on the 300 million overspend figure. He said, you know, that's the amount that they've identified as an underspend, rather, in the first six months uh, of the year, and you know, there may be uh, some additional tax revenues be- beyond what they have uh, estimated. And he says he's confident that that will supply sufficient resources Sources for the uh, for the refund of water charges. I, I think you know, as I say, that'll be interrogated a little bit. But Pat, aren't uh, Pat, aren't tax revenues running behind rather than ahead of estimates right now? Yes, they are now. Department of you talked about Department of Finance, and they say they're very confident that they'll be made up by the end of the year. And tax some types of tax revenues, particularly say corporation tax, are inherently. Uh, unpredictable. But just as they're unpredictable uh, on the upside, they're also unpredictable on uh, on the downsides. The government cannot rely on the sort of surpluses beyond what uh, was expected coming in, uh, coming in uh, this year as did in recent years. The other thing about an underspend in government departments is that most government departments will try and make that up over the second half of the year if they have been allocated a certain amount of money uh, they will, uh, you know, many of them, uh, many of them will do their damnedest to make sure that they spend their budgets uh, over the course uh, of the year. There will be an underspend uh, for sure in social welfare because the numbers of people claiming unemployment benefit are smaller than what was anticipated. But remember that out of the social welfare budget must be the uh, must be paid the Christmas bonus as well. So it's um, it's 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 not quite, I think, as straightforward as, uh, as it was presented yesterday. Mary, I mean, that's right. And in a way, isn't it? we're all taking a bit of a deep breath now and the government is, the, the cabinet is down there in Castletown having its away day doing all that. But all the issues, and I'll come back to Pat on this in a minute, all the issues are going to be around these kind of questions of how much money is available, yeah. what's wise and prudent under the this new Taoiseach ship. Yeah, and and as Pat correctly says, we don't know and Leo Varadkar doesn't know. And just the point that Pat raised there about uh, spending, like I asked Leo Varadkar that yesterday because he has basically a 
alerted his ministers to the fact that he will be wanting to scoop up any excess that they have lying around at the end of the year. So I asked mm. him, you know, are you not worried now that your ministers are going to be spending like crazy almost to get rid of their money? And he said no, that he hoped that they would spend their full allocations, but on the things that they were voted for and expenditure. So it's not a matter of just spending money to get it spent, but making sure that it goes to, or that making sure that the money goes to the to the projects that they were they were meant to go to in the first place. But you know, as Pat says, we cannot, we just cannot be certain. And we're only halfway through the year. Leif Radker said yesterday he'd love to give us a little bit more detail about where exactly this money was going to come from, but he would be able to do so in in September or October when he had a better sense of spending and taxation figures and so on. So really, what he's tried to do, I think, is park this now until September. And he's saying that um, Owen Murphy, the housing minister, indicated to cabinet yesterday his intention to bring legislation is obviously required now to bring in uh, because there will still be penalties. There will be penalties for people who, in the Taoiseach's words, waste and use excessive water. So legislation will be coming forward now in in September, and we'll hear we'll hear more details then. Pat, when I hear about all this kind of jiggery pokery, it, it occurs to me one of the things I was uh, I've been away for the last couple of weeks, and thanks very much for for sitting in for me. I'm so recently back that I've still got the mosquito bites to to show for it. Um, and while sipping my wine and watching the sunset over the Adriatic, I was taken by the invention of this new. Uh, this goes to show how how boring my life is. This new uh, measurement called the GNI, which is going to supposedly replace uh, GNP uh, or GDP as a measurement of the of the Irish economy. And I said, what the hell is this? Because all of a sudden it means that we've that the Irish economy is something like 30 percent smaller than everybody's been presuming. And if you take that as a metric, all the equations change. Indeed, I, I, I believe many people ponder the measurements of the Irish economy while watching the sunset over the Adriatic. All right. So you're probably not alone there. Um, what happened uh, last week was the standard measure of the size of the Irish economy. Um, and and from that, therefore, things like deficits, debt as a proportion of GDP and so forth have been unsatisfactory for years, have been recognised as being unsatisfactory for years because they include uh, some of capital inflows and outflows from very large multinational businesses that, uh, that operate here. So they're not actually... Uh, the sums that you are talking about passing through these companies are not actually part of the goods and services that are traded in uh, in the Irish economy. But what the the GNI star has sought to do is, according to the CSO, is to provide a measurement of the Irish economy that takes account of these things. Now, you'll have to get one of the nerds from the business desk to explain the intricacies of this or the mechanics of how it works. But the political correspondent's uh, chief guide to GNI is that it will show us with a smaller economy and therefore a larger debt as a proportion of that economy, and that could be significant. So the cash amount of the debt is the same. It's about 200 billion euros. That's what the state owes as its national debt. But the measurement of the size of the economy goes from, I think, about 270 billion euros a year down to 180 billion euros a year. So that's quite, uh, that's quite a significant change. Now, government says that it will not change their calculations for the budget. 
that it is a statistical exercise that uh, is intended to enable them to 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 make better informed policy choices and so forth. I find it hard to see how it won't affect calculations of the budget over a period of time, uh, given uh, given what it says about, for instance, things like the size of the national debt and the deficit. I mean, it's not just a question, though, Mary, of the national debt. If you bring in this new metric, I mean, we've had endless discussions over the years in this podcast and we hear them on broadcasters all the time about various policies be they how much we spend on health how much we spend on education what the tax burden is how we compare to other countries and they all rely to some extent on these previous metrics of GDP or GNP and all that stuff just gets thrown up in the air uh, if, if, if we move to a different metric. Yeah I, I just what's extraordinary is coming out I think from Glenty's and various comments from ministers about the economy is the mixed messages that are coming out I mean on the one hand uh, our rainy day fund, which I sometimes think of as our running away money, it seems to have been just, you know, being frittered off towards other other um, projects. And uh, you hear, we've heard in Glenties from the Department of Public Expenditures, Secretary General Robert Watt, who's saying that the government should build up fiscal buffers with budget surpluses to prepare for what he describes as an inevitable economic slowdown. And then you've got the minister himself, Pascal Donoghue, saying that the Irish economy still faces the threat of overheating and it's critical that, uh, you know, dangerous risks are avoided. So it's very, it's, I think it's very difficult for people to, to understand what the actual message coming out from the government is. And naturally, most people don't concern themselves with that level. They're, they're more concerned about issues that really affect them, like housing. And I think it's just absolutely at the, at the well, there are many issues, I suppose, at the top of the government's list. I always say Brexit is, a, is such, a, such an absolutely huge one. And uh, the housing issue just is absolutely massive at the moment and um, you know it's extraordinary really that Owen Murphy is going to have to juggle both the water rebates and the housing issue. I mean just government seems unable to get on top of the various crises that are ongoing within housing at the moment and it seems that you know it's not that building uh, is not profitable but building houses that people want to live in. Which is a big question and there is some investigation going into that. Papa what's the sense up there because I'm a lot of the, the great and good, uh, as every year, are up there, or the great anyway, are up there in, in Glenties, you know, the head of the you know Department of Finance, Pascal Donoghue, lots of other people, eminent economists. What's the sense about this? You seem to have these these two different narratives going on that, that Pascal Donoghue and Leo Varadkar have signalled that they want to invest more in infrastructure, uh, that they want to invest in the future of the economy. But on the other hand, you have this, you know, what, what was that famous, you know, the, the head of the Fed who said that their, the role was to pull away the the, the the punch the cocktail punch just as the party was beginning and there's a there's a kind of a there's a cautionary note being sounded as well is 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 it as confused as Mary is suggesting or do you have a sense of what the overall thrust is I think it's you know you can look one way of looking at it is as confused the other way is I suppose of looking at it as the sort of elements that will coalesce into decision making come the autumn when we get into the budget and the capital plan and so forth I mean one of the big themes of the week here in Glenties has been the threat posed by uh, by Brexit and how that is going to affect big things and small things. Obviously, we're in a border county here, and there was a really strong sense amongst many um, uh, many of the speakers, particularly earlier in the week, and people like Dahi O'Kelly, who was 
Ireland's ambassador in London for uh, for several years. Uh, people who are specialists in EU affairs, like Bridget Laffin, uh, who's who's here as well, and a sense coming across from an awful lot of those people in the Brexit debates was that. Our cons- the likely Brexit that we will eventually face is getting harder and harder. There's almost despair here, really, about the quality of decision making at the uh, at the highest level of the British government, and a feeling that we are on a slide towards a hard Brexit, which will mean inevitably that there is a, a border on the island, and that may be uh, mitigated by electronic means and so forth, uh, but that. The, uh, the imposition or the reimposition of uh, of a border is kind of becoming an inevitability. Now, nothing is settled in, in that regard yet. So on one side, you have those sort of storm clouds gathering. On the other hand, you know, you know, there is a, uh, you know, a very positive economic environment for uh, both the broader economy and for Uh, the public finances. And that was evident in a lot of the economic presentations as well. Quite a bullish presentation yesterday uh, by uh, the IBEC chief economist. But I I, I thought um, a really instructive presentation last night from Seamus Coffey, who's a UCC academic and head of the Fiscal Council, which is the government's independent kind of budgetary watchdog and he was talking about you know he made no bones about the health of the Irish economy and the strength of the recovery and that's there to see in the figures no matter how you judge it through the old system or uh, or the new system but he also talked about I suppose what are the problems of prosperity the difficulty of building houses quickly and the consequences of injecting large large amounts of money into an economy that is already booming and he warned very strongly and you know I'd really encourage people to go back and have a look at his um, have, have a look at his presentation because he warned very very strongly strongly about repeating the mistakes that the country made in economic policy making in the early 2000s and uh, and the mid 2000s he didn't say and he was very clear about not saying uh, that we were uh, you know we were repeating those mistakes but i thought what was very clear from his presentation was that we are just at the stage now before the mistakes uh, were made in uh, in the last cycle that was the classic kind of charlie mccreevy when i have the money i'll spend it um pro cyclical kind of you know state spending even more money, even as the economy is booming. Yeah, absolutely. And that was, you know, again, Mary mentioned Robert Watt from the Department of uh, of Public Expenditure. And, you know, that again was a message that, you know, he was giving in his presentation yesterday of the need to be cautious and prudent and to build up fiscal buffers. So, you know, on the one hand, the government is faced with these, you know, pressing infrastructural needs. And housing, as Mary says, is the most obvious one uh, of those. It is in the fortunate position where it has resources provided by taxation and a low interest rate environment which makes borrowing cheap to act to ameliorate the pressures um, in in the economy and in society but it's also being warned you know by some extremely influential voices that it has to go about this in the right way because it's the easiest thing in the world to throw money at the problem and therefore, you know, store up much more serious problems down the line. Now, Mary, I mean, you're observing this government as it flashes past in a white minibus. Is 
is do you think this new Taoiseach and this new configuration of cabinet most probably facing into a general election at some point in the next 18 to 20 months, let's say, is likely to be as cautious as some people are suggesting it should be in, in Glenties? Yeah, it's a tricky one because I think uh, Leo Varadkar certainly wants to sh- demonstrate that he is uh, showing a bit of largesse, you know, on a modest scale, if you like. You know, I think they will package up this water refund as, a, oh, look, here's a little Christmas bonus for everyone. You know, they talk about making a virtue out of necessity. I think that's what they're doing there. But it's fascinating because we have this external factor, if you like now, Brexit, mm. uh, and that it just puts a big question mark over everything the government does. I was down in Kilkenny on Monday at the British-Irish Parliamentary Assembly, which used to be a very uh, kind of placid affair. Uh, anemic was a, a word that was used actually by one of the members about their, their traditional discussions. But there's a bit of an edge crept in now, as you can imagine, because this was a body set up in 1990 and it was meant to you know, foster relationships between the Houses of Parliament and the Houses of the Oireachtas. So you've got TDs, senators, MPs, members of the House of Lords. And you've also got people from Jersey and Guernsey and the Isle of Man and the Scottish Assembly, the Welsh uh, Parliament and the Northern Ireland Assembly. And um, if it's just post-Brexit, it has taken on a really a, a totally different mentality, you know. Yeah, and were, so. it was just mentioned down there that there were a few, you know, there have been a few straws in the wind now that, as Pat says, a hard Brexit is on the way. I think we were all in this mindset that it wasn't going to be quite so bad. Things were going to be softer than we hoped. But say the British move on fisheries and the pulling out of the London arrangement, that is a, a bit of a straw in the wind that things are going to be much harder than we thought. And just talking to Tories, down there, you know, they they talk about not for turning. They, you know, you're talking to them about. See, this is dull, and people don't really like to engage with this. But things like funding EU funding, like the Interreg and the peace programs, which. I know people don't give much thought to, but really have created something out of nothing in the border corridor. Mm. And that's all gone now, at least for the counties above the border in Northern Ireland. But, you know, if you're you're talking to Tories about this and they, and they just, they're looking blankly. They either don't know about these funding schemes or they just don't care. Uh, and in fact, some of them suggest that this funding will still be forthcoming because Europe can fund whoever it likes, which seems to me extraordinary because you're either in the club or you're out of the club. And one of the most prominent members of that assembly, actually Lord Dubbs, who people might remember, he was um, a la- he's a Labour peer. He was a former Northern Ireland office minister uh, quite a few years ago. Now he talked about a new generation of politicians now in Westminster who really, I think, because things are viewed as having settled down on the peace they front no in Northern Ireland, so we saw they that with the engage. who were the DUP questions exactly. A, a couple of months ago. Yeah, 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 and they're they're probably very representative of 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 their constituents. They just don't engage with Northern. Northern Ireland at all. They have no idea what's going on there. And they it just it clearly wasn't a factor at all in the Brexit uh, referendum campaign. And now belatedly they are the British ambassador spoke there and he was saying the last year had been spent trying to understand Ireland's specific concerns. I mean, talk about being a bit late. I mean, this is pretty chilling stuff, Pat, isn't it? I mean, it's both in terms of the effect on the specific areas around the border, on the all Ireland economy here, on the political dispensation in Northern Ireland, and probably as well if it pans out the way that, that, that you're saying, probably a kind of a, a serious economic depression or economic turbulence in the United Kingdom, which is still one of our most significant trading partners. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I have to say I was, I was here uh, at McGill 
this time last year in the immediate wake of uh, the Brexit vote, you know, whatever, only uh, you know, a few weeks after the Brexit vote. And I suppose everybody at that stage was trying to get their heads around what it would mean. But a year on, the mood is, I would say, you know, is 90% darker and more pessimistic here uh, in terms of what people believe uh, that that Brexit will mean uh, on on the ground, or at least their uh, their conception their conception of what the likely outcome. Because you know, there's so much yet that we don't we don't know, but the uh, the, the the realm of the possible or the re- the realm of the likely, I suppose, has moved uh, much more towards a pessimistic end uh, from an, an Irish perspective, and there was a real, you know, fear and worry in a lot of the contributions uh, about um, uh, about Brexit here earlier in the week. It's kind of out of our control, really, Mary, isn't it? We're kind of sitting here watching what happens in in. Yeah, it's a it's a kind Despair, of a, right? a horrible feeling, you know. But mm. again, having spoken to some of these Tories, they their view of it is that Brussels is just trying to scare everyone and has convinced people that it's going to be a catastrophe if Britain pulls out of the European Union. And uh, in fact, some of the Tories think that Brussels is actively trying to worsen the relationship between Ireland and uh, Ireland and Britain, um, just so that things you know won't go easy for the UK. Like there's obviously Obviously, well, I don't know, is it paranoia creeping in? Because obviously uh, the European authorities can't make it too simple for Britain to just, you know, go off into that good oh, sure, night. That's part it of the to, dynamic. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like it has to, you know, because it doesn't want the union, to, doesn't want the union to fall apart. But, you know, Emily O'Reilly, who's now the European ombudsman, was down there. And she, I think she really caught that mood of nobody really knows. And she talked about how lobbyists are making a fortune from people's insecurity and it's not lack of knowledge because there just there isn't any knowledge. You know, we've never been in this space before, so people are actually making money out of the out of Brexit already. You know, she talked about um, it was it was something that was ripe for lawyers and lobbyists in in Brussels, and uh, she also talked about how the border the possibility that the border in this country could become a pawn in this in the, in this game and yes at the moment it's high profile in the discussions and that's good but just to be very careful that it it wasn't something that should be monetized and we should try our, our best to take it to take it very much out of that arena but as you say we're kind of horrified bystanders in what's going on right um i think we should leave it there on that slightly slightly grim note but listen pat thanks for thanks for taking the trouble to join us from glenties and we'll see you see you back here over the next few weeks thanks also to Mary that's it for this edition of Inside Politics thanks to our producer Declan Conlon and engineer Rob O'Sullivan remember you can mail me at hlinahan at irishtimes.com or you can find me on Twitter so but until the next time goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening 